0: Welcome to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. Today we're doing episode 121 and we have with us uh, Steve Bennett. We met Steve at the PhD conference in 2019. I don't know if you got to speak to him that day. I did a little bit, um, but he was on the stage as well, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, it was really a quite a provocative and thought process provoking presentation that steve did at the 2019 phc conference so it was quite memorable and there he was with a perspex coffin on the stage and he was using this as a as i said a thought experiment of how much sugar people consume in one year and what he did was to basically bury it was his father wasn't it yeah yeah in this perspex coffin and was loading it up with sugar and it was really just you know you were sort of cringing going really oh my you know but this visual thought experiment was just to sort of demonstrate obviously how you know how much and how well the volume and the quantity of sugar that people consume in daily foods so over over one year
0: yeah and he had he had buckets and buckets of sugar and he actually stopped i think he was worried about all the weight on top of his dad his dad
1: (laughs) yeah so but it was really to sort of you know as an introduction to a visual thought experiment of just about the the hidden nature of sugar in foods and just the volume and the quantities and the impact of of you know on on health but i know that you know his history- Story is really indicative of most, say, male Anglo white um, males in our country, our respective countries in our Western society. That he himself, as a father. Um, you know, has a vested interest in the health of not only for himself but for his children, which has really made him a very passionate advocate for, um, you know, health promotion and health education and him being a patron of the PHC as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's one of the main benefactors now.
1: That's right. So I think, you know, his story you know, is really should resonate with our listeners, you know, just as, you know, an ordinary dad, you know, the dad bod, um, you know, type of guy that was obviously becoming, you know, increasingly you know, overweight in his advancing years, and then obviously having this awareness of the impact of, you know, upon his own health, but really turning that around and making that a commitment to you know the health promotion and health education of well certainly in the UK
0: yeah and I think one of the things that it highlights is and and it doesn't highlight it in a way in a way it does highlight and in a way it doesn't is that we can imagine what Steve was like because he wasn't massively overweight but he was just overweight and it's become the norm for people to be overweight and to have those Um, what we call beer bellies and Hmm. just be unfit and that's just normal now so people don't think anything of it but the health impacts as he said it's in the podcast is you know is massive
1: and that's right and that's that's as I sort of said about the the dad bods you know we accept that the dad bods are that sort of middle visceral tummies with the beer bellies and that's something that you know I've really come back now to australia is to sort of to to see that you know to sort of see how how that changing the changing landscapes um and the dad the dad bods
0: are you know very much present normal now though that's just accepted Mm. it's not and so how are we going to change that but anyway let's let's go over tell us a bit about steve
1: well as you said, someone
0: who wants to change it
1: because he is driven by a sense of duty and, you know, to pass on the knowledge and, the, in fact, having turned around his health, as you said, he had been overweight for 25 years. But to do this, you know, he's looking to spend most of his working days on several different approaches to, to health education. He's passionate about preventing and reversing diabetes type 2 obesity and metabolic syndromes across the uk he wants to spend his working days on several different approaches and he's created an organization called health results to help others explore measure and improve their metabolic health and he's a benefactor of two charities, the Public Health Collaboration and the Colorful Life Foundation. And as we mentioned, him has a father to seven wonderful children. He's also got two grandchildren and he's also, of course, a husband. His day job is after the school run is to follow his passion to educate our country that's the UK on metabolic health and he executively chairs several companies that he previously founded. He loves adventures and this is a really great part of you know Steve's journey is the fact that not only is he committed entrepreneurially but he pushes the physical boundaries and has trekked to the North Pole, sailed across the Atlantic undertaken some mammoth strive challenges and more recently along with several others from the PHC they cycled 500 miles in five days on zero calories. You can follow that story on 05 500 on youtube you'll also know that steve is an author and he's written several health um, health books and you can sort of see that in the primal cure britain is sick primal gourmet and more recently love this title steve fat and furious
0: yeah that's the name of his podcast as well
1: and he's founded um, health results as we said and he's a patron and main benefactor to the phc which aims to prevent at the heart of the nation's healthcare system so you can read more on the show notes about Steve and his various entrepreneurial activities so let's hear from Steve
0: welcome Steve to the fabulously keto podcast it's fabulous to have you with us today
2: well it's fabulous to be with you thank you for having me on your program
0: it's taken us a while because I did email you back in two thousand and nineteen. You probably don't even know. You maybe didn't even get the email to come on. But um, yeah, it's taken uh, a while.
2: That one obviously didn't sort of make it through the <laughs> 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 through the team.
0: <laughs> but I nabbed you at the PHC conference this year and said you were just leaving. It's like Steve, come on my podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was rushing home. I'd been away for five days and. Uh, I was rushing to get out, and you did. You grabbed me,
0: you know, in a nice and
2: friendly way, of course. But uh, yeah, here I am.
0: Not and not for the listeners. Not physically. I didn't no, know no, physically. Not. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> so um, we'll come on to the reason why you are away for five days afterwards, um, but tell us where in the world you are.
2: So I live uh, in a place called Warwick, which is in the middle of the UK. Um, And uh, it's a very old uh, town, uh, big, big castle built in 1066 outside my window, which is quite lovely to look up to every morning. And uh, yeah, I live here with uh, some of my kids, those that are still at home, and uh, with my wife and a couple of dogs. Excellent.
0: So why don't you start by telling us a bit about your story and how you came to low-carb, real food, keto, carnivore
2: yeah because you do all
0: sorts don't you (laughs) (laughs) like me like me
2: experiment a lot to make sure what we're saying is still always true and valid um yeah okay so uh late 50s now uh started my own company uh, when i was 24 um nothing to do with health Uh, that was all around computers grew it and grew it to be the uk's fastest growing company according to the financial times through the 90s Uh and then sold that business and then grew another one and that became the UK's fastest growing company in 2012. Nothing to do with health whatsoever. Um, and prior to starting my companies, I was quite fit, I was quite active, I was doing a lot of sport, I loved my sailing and things like that. And uh so I was quite fit, and didn't realise when I started my business and then working the hours you do when you when when you're starting, you know, and uh, you know working all hours and doing every single job from the VAT yourself to, you know, the sales to well to everything basically. Uh, but didn't notice the weight creeping up, didn't notice the um, the lack of fitness going or fitness going down, um, and then without realising it, I'd come obese uh, while I was just so focused on work. And uh, I wasn't lazy. I was still exercising and you know, going, get, getting up at silly o'clock in the morning and going for long jogs. And, uh, and, and no matter what I did, I was just getting fatter and fatter. And then uh, at the age of 49, my wife said, uh, oh, we've got another baby on the way. And uh, I was after like a seven-year break, child number seven on the way. And I, and I thought, this is terrible. You know, I'm so out of shape. I won't be able to see this one grow up. Uh, I, I need to do something about it. And a couple of ships collided that year. I'd been out with um, the Maasai um, uh, on the border between Kenya and Tanzania. Um, Part of my job was to to hunt down gemstones and look for gemstones. Uh, And I was spending some time with the Maasai. And uh, I was getting up early in the morning, going outside the compound for a jog. uh, Obese, so uh, very obese, actually, at that point. Uh, But jogging uh, because I was going to do a marathon when I got back to the U.K., and, uh, and, and and the guard on the compound went, what are you doing? What are you doing? I went, I'm, go- I'm going for a run. They went, Why are you doing that? I said, because I have to. And he went, you can't. I said, it's dangerous. I went, well, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. It turns out the thing they were most worried about wasn't anything like exotic, like lions or anything like that. It was that the elephants had been known to crush people in the area. But anyway, that's a long story short. Uh, and then that afternoon, we were sitting around uh, a little fire and uh, a couple of the mass. I killed a goat and passed me the meat and I took the fat off. And, and they were looking very confused, and they looked over at me, the, the head Masai, and he had an English name, although that wasn't his real name, uh, but Philip. And Philip says, "Mr. Steve, you, you Englishman, you do that running and you take the fat off that gorgeous goat to look big, fat Western man." I went, "No, completely the opposite." <laughs> and, he, and this dead lean six foot something Maasai turned to me. He went, "It's not working." <laughs> <laughs> and it just like struck a chord it's like yeah absolutely right it's not working how silly um and here these mass eating all you know drinking pints of blood uh doing eating all sorts of things that at the, in the, at the time i thought were unhealthy like pure fat uh, and looking really ripped really strong really healthy uh and as long as they could avoid sort of accidents uh, and diseases went on to have a you know good strong fit life uh, so i came back to the uk and, and that really combined with my wife well us getting pregnant again um i said i've got to do something about this so uh i signed up a couple of personal trainers i've got a local friend who's a gp and we started to look at it and uh and the weight started to drop off when they changed my eating habits so You know i i tried so hard over the years i'd have an annual medical because my my job and key man insurance and all that and even that annual medical you know they were saying steve you know you got to eat the low fat you know get your diet right and and i've been doing it you know so i was doing everything i thought was right i was eating low fat i was cooking most of my stuff at home but very low fat very conscious what i was doing i was exercising quite a lot and the weight just would not move and and then one day, a person trains well, you've got it all wrong. Forget everything you've read. Forget the Eat Well Guidelines in the UK. You know you've got to cut the carbs, um, and you've got to start eating fat. And we're gonna we're gonna tone down your training quite a bit because you're just overtraining in terms of certainly the the, the cardio side. And uh, the weight fell off. And then I got addicted to it and uh, uh, started to write a book. Uh, then built a supplement brand, um, and then yeah uh, and that was kind of the start of it really sorry it went on a bit there <laughs> so that's that the story is. that's the story
0: yeah so that was so when was this when you when your fitness instructor said you got to go low carb
2: yeah this was about seven years ago now because my little boy's seven
0: and um
2: and i've been that way pretty much since lots of experiments so trying different things um I, I, I'm, I'm just going through pretty much a carnivore stage um uh i got very jealous a, 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 a gentleman was in doing some recording for us we made a documentary on uh uh yeah, good fitness and he's an ex-professional football player same age as me pretty much but uh completely ripped and i went ah, have you got so ripped and he went i've gone carnivore and it's just the best thing ever so i'm giving that a go at the moment which is quite <laughs> interesting two weeks in uh, how are you,
0: find, you finding it
2: I'm not super strict in the fact I'm still having eggs, so I'm pretty much, I've, I've been OMAD for a long time, so um, I don't tend to have a breakfast unless I'm on holiday with the kids and then I'll have like omelets, but uh, so I'm OMAD, uh, I only eat the evening and, and I've been really just having steak and eggs and that's about it, if I, if I really get bored I put a bit of blue cheese on, so it's not completely carnivore, but everything is steak based, so yeah,
0: enjoying it.
1: But it's still, it's still an animal product, so eggs exactly. eggs being an animal product and cheese, dairy. So it just depends. I mean, it's not steak, salt, water, you know, that's no. sort of very strict carnivore. But um, it sounds a bit, you know, like that movie when Harry met Sally. I want what she's having, you know, <laughs> that's the sort of stuff. I want to be ripped like, you know. Yeah. But how was it for the Maasai to go, Mr. Steve, you've got it all wrong, you know, that sort of real... Intelligence that comes from you know that that sort of ancient living, you know, and here you are, you know, this sort of Englishman, Englishman, you've got it wrong, and you turn it up upside down, which really you said that the the trainer and the GP did, you know, to to change that conventional wisdom, what you thought was best. How did that sort of did that resonate with you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Einstein had uh, famously once said, you know. Don't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. That's insanity. And uh, I should have realised it. You know, I always thought I was reasonably smart. I was running these big companies. You know, I've always had about a thousand employees for the last 20, 30 years, and great management around me, and and so on. So I'm not. I'm not saying I'm bright, but I'm certainly not, not bright. Um, and yet yeah, I was keep doing the same thing over and over again, and, and jogging early in the morning, sacrificing sleep which is a stupid thing to do now when you look back, uh, but just on a, uh, just at the base of poor knowledge and, and wrong information. So sacrificing sleep, knees always aching because I'm carrying too much weight, um, and, and jogging till I uh, feel sick, and then getting home, and then you know having loads of toast and loads of orange juice, because of course it was brown toast, that's good, obviously. And uh, no batter. Juice is fruits, that must be good for you, and the banana, and all those things that, that back then was... The, that was the main the you know, very few well i guess you guys are talking keto back then but it wasn't sort of as mainstream as it's getting now and uh so everywhere you turned it was everyone going yeah you've got to eat fat-free yogurt fat-free this you know brown bread brown rice um an exercise like crazy but it didn't work so the mass i just saw through all that because they don't have marketing they don't have uh you know pharmaceuticals out there you're painting it the picture they want us to see they just did everything by experience and their experience said you know walk it's often eat fat on. <laughs> and so uh, and a bit. yeah
1: what about your health markers now? So obviously, you know, you've you no longer got the dad bod. You know, you're you're ripped. You're or you're ripping, ripping yourself into no, not, not into shape. Yet. And
2: yeah, I still like too much wine. I think as uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm way off perfect, but yeah, way way down on where I was. So uh, in good old English stones, I was about fifteen stone, and now depending on how much weight training I'm doing, I have a uh, twelve and a half to thirteen and a half. Um, and um, my waist to height ratio is pretty good. Uh, triglycerides are good. HDL is okay. Um, blood pressure is so slightly up, but but negligible. Um, so yeah, and glucose is fine. So the five sort of metabolic markers that we look at um, are all okay. Could always be improved.
0: Yeah. Have you? So let's go. Let's talk about um, health results mm-hmm. and the metabolic markers. So how did that come about? Tell us about it. Tell us, you know, what it is. Because Yeah,
2: I, I had been writing the colour of books and cookbooks and things, and uh, I studied the work of a, a great professor in States, uh, Ben Bickman, who, if you haven't heard on your show, you must get, he's just brilliant. And, um, and he put it in words that, so we all write a lot of stuff about various things, uh, but actually he simplified it down to the fact that most chronic illness, so obviously diabetes, obesity, uh, even a big cause of Alzheimer's, certain cancers, certainly breast cancer and prostate and, uh, cancers can be put down to insulin resistance. And of course we know that the main sign for insulin resistance is, is people that have diabetes type two. Uh, but put it's, but, it so eloquently and so simplicity that Uh, that that anybody could understand it really. Um, And uh, he painted a picture that I hadn't really fully understood that of course, when you're insulin resistant, you also have hyperinsulinemia. So, you know, too much insulin. Uh, And then how that affected many chronic illnesses. And then I started to talk to quite a few doctors and they were going, yeah, you know what? Probably four out of five hospital beds in the UK are taken up as a result of those chronic illnesses. and, And if it is as simple, uh, and I don't ever want to dumb anything down in science because obviously there are bits that are not as straightforward. But if if the fundamental cause of most chronic illness, if insulin resistance, stroke, hyperinsulinemia is part of it, then that's something we need to tackle. Um, and then you look at the great work of Tim Noakes, uh, the great work of, uh, of many of these doctors talking around metabolic syndrome and, and so on. Uh, and, and you can interchange metabolic syndrome, syndrome X, uh, insulin resistance, they're all kind of just different names, for so pretty much the same thing. Um, so we started to look at that and we said, well, look, you know, if it is that simple, how, how do you test for it? What, what are the tests? Now, you, you can measure insulin, but it's quite costly uh, and you certainly can't do it at the moment, uh, you know, in front of uh, somebody, you know, there and then. Um, so it's kind of now widely recognized that those five markers, your, your, blood pressure, your HDL, uh, your, um, uh, triglycerides, your, uh, how much, so that's obviously how much fat sorry, is in, in, in the blood. Uh, obviously how much sugar's in your blood, your glucose levels and your blood pressure those five and the relationships of the five pretty much tell you whether you've got insulin resistance. Um, and then of course, you can do things about it so so we were looking at that and said well how easy is it for the consumer to test that and while there's obviously quite cheap now and very accurate blood pressure monitors and there's quite cheap and quite accurate blood glucose monitors and obviously just knowing your waist to height ratio is as simple as having a piece of string and cutting it and make sure it goes around you know, cutting it to your height and make, making sure it goes around your waist twice. So you don't need any kit for that. But the but the bit that was missing was uh, an affordable way to measure HDL and triglycerides. And there were some kicks starting to come available, but at the same time they were measuring LDL. And the problem with that is the is still out whether LDL is as bad as everybody makes uh, and and are we barking up the wrong tree? So the thing we had to do with our bit of kit was to actually uh, uninstall the bit that measured LDL because we felt obliged if it was measuring it that we'd have to tell people what it was, even though for us, it's pretty much a red herring. So we eventually developed a bit of kit and then said, right, let's go out and start testing the nation. And uh, we designed uh, health results to do that really, go out uh, and cost effectively measure people's se- sensitivity, if you like, to, to insulin. And then uh, prior to that, I'd already um, written a course to help people lose weight. We had to cut a cut 1,000 people through. So it's an online video course with uh, over 50 hours of content. Uh, and uh, it's sort of me anchoring it, but then uh, 50 or 60 doctors that I sort of interviewed for my podcast uh, all, all took part in it. And we've had some just staggering results. So, so Health Results is a couple of things combined, really. It's, it's a, a company that provides metabolic testing, and it's got a couple of online courses, one for reverse and diabetes uh, type 2, uh, and one for helping people shed the weight.
0: So the metabolic score, let's talk about mm. metabolic score. So you get a score from 1 to 100.
2: Yeah. Um, so we, we, we take those measurements, those five measurements. Um, we also look at the ratio of HDL um to triglycerides and there's now pretty much globally accepted i guess in 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 the right medical circles now that you know those are the five markers so we can't really dispute that we're not looking at the the right or the wrong thing we are definitely looking at the five measures that indicate you know the the quality or areas for improvement of, of your inner health uh, and then we just put it on a very simple, it's not even a clever algorithm. We, we basically combine those scores to give you a score from zero to 100 and in increments of five. Um, and, and then once somebody's got the score, the, the, the great thing with metabolic health is all of those markers can be improved um, yeah, by predominantly looking at the diet, but also lifestyle, sleep, stress, and all those things. But uh, they, they can all be improved and they all tend to improve in parallel with one another Um, so then somebody gets the score and because we don't want to to have to be an army of doctors uh, giving out the score otherwise again that becomes unaffordable the person sort of doing the, the the testing doesn't give any advice they just give them the score it's on the app and then they go back to the website and we've got some tailored dietary plans and tailored advice based on where the score currently sits so while keto is absolutely brilliant and primals brilliant and you know all these different diets are you know the low carb movement is brilliant to the extent of how strict you need to be will be reflected in your current inner health so for example somebody scoring very low on our uh, hrm score hrm stands for health results metabolic score uh, very low we would recommend on the website a much stricter Low carb diet, you know. So even avoiding certain fruits that sort are of seven or eight grams per hundred grams of of carb. But then, of course, if somebody's doing okay and they've got a, a good metabolic score already, we still don't recommend all the the the, the fast foods and even if somebody's got a hundred, we would never recommend anything that's full of chemicals because we just know there's damage in the long run. But you can then get away with the occasional baked potato, sweet potato, things like that, if. At this point your you know your blood pressure is good your blood sugar is good triglycerides are good and and, and so on so we basically tailor the diet uh very strict for those scoring low very strict keto for those scoring low and a little bit more freedom for those scoring higher
0: yeah i think it's fabulous so you know well as you know i'm i do the testing and um it really gives people an insight because I uh, particularly see people that they think they're doing the right thing, yeah, following all the guidelines, and they're the yeah. ones that come out with the lowest score. And then others say, I'm not looking forward to doing this. I eat, I don't eat very well. And they come out with a higher score. So it's quite interesting.
2: Yeah, and, um, and, and it's great having you on board with that, Jackie. Really great. And, uh, and And the key thing, of course, is what people forget is the high blood sugar and you know diabetes type 2 is some 10 to 20 years behind becoming not metabolically well you know because what's happening is at the beginning you know you're eating too much carbs your pancreas is putting out more and more insulin and it's doing the job to start off with i mean you only become insulin resistant towards the back end so we need to get these markers done earlier um because you know if you've got too much insulin floating around the body you know, we, we know for a fact hyperinsulinemia drives a high percentage of prostate cancers of breast cancers and so on, uh, infertility as well, uh, erectile dysfunction, gout, I mean, the migraines, you know, the, 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 the and, and possibly even one of the biggest causes of Alzheimer's, um, to the point that many people are now even discussing Alzheimer's as type three, um, diabetes, um, and in fact, i forgot a bit the story earlier on those those ships all colliding uh, with the maasai and my wife getting pregnant it was the same year that that my dad was diagnosed with diabetes type 2 uh, and i would got a mum uh, still still both alive but very poorly with alzheimer's and uh, you know i look at my mum and dad and they're great people and i love them to bits and they've been together since they were 14 sharing every meal since they were 14 and that the metabolic illness is just it's the same metabolic illness but it's just manifested in different ways you know dad with his diabetes mom with the alzheimer's uh, and it's a shame because if they'd have known what we know now it would have been easier to change the diet
0: now yeah. how is your mom now
2: terrible yeah so they're both still
0: alive they're both 82
2: uh frustratingly uh I, I, family the last ones to listen to somebody in their family uh, especially when their doctor say something different so sadly dad's type 2 and uh the medication he's on is insulin which is just ridiculous um because you know you're trying to it's just so old school way of dealing with type 2 diabetes oh you've got your insulin resistant let's give you some more insulin which of course just you yeah. know creates an even bigger landscape for disease with hyperinsulinemia so that frustrates me but good old dad 82 won't listen to his son and what he calls my wacky doctor friends uh, even though they've all spoke to him <laughs> uh, and this is his, listens to his gp uh, who's very old school and won't won't uh, change your ways on the medication i'm not knocking gps because most of them are absolutely brilliant but uh, in this case i don't agree with the medication and then mom sadly um has not only got uh, very, very bad Alzheimer's, um, but uh, hip's gone as well, and she can't have a hip replacement because she's got osteoporosis um, in in the cup, so she's in agony, so she's in a really bad way. But, uh, again, it's terrible because the when you know now what we all know, all the signs are there with my dad way before he got his diagnosis with diabetes, He's, he suffers with gout, which we know is... In many court, you know, you can link back to insulin resistance. He has always had high blood pressure. He was on Viagra for many, many years. You know, and all these are signs of metabolic syndrome, of insulin resistance uh, that we know now. So, you know, I'm, I hope that doctors are starting to be trained a lot more on looking at these signs and realizing that they are all kind of interlinked.
0: Yeah. So. It was interesting because when, when we saw you, you were at the PHC conference in 2019. Yeah. Your presentation was really dramatic because you had a perspex box. Yeah. You had your dad in the bottom yeah. and you had your son pouring <laughs> cubes of sugar. For, you were asking him what he had for breakfast and you were pouring cubes of sugar onto him. Yeah. and And he still doesn't get it.
2: Yeah, he gets it now a bit more. Uh,
0: <laughs> was it all that sugar? <laughs> and you stopped after a while because you 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 only got to about breakfast and he was covered in sugar.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I just for those that are uh, listening, I made a glass coffin. So I was an after-dinner speaker and I thought, how am I going to wake the audience up? So I, about a month before, went to a manufacturer and we made a, a Perspex coffin put my dad in it and lay him down in there and here he's you know suffering with type 2 diabetes and we just went through his his previous breakfast choices of you know lots of cereal and banana because it's healthy uh, orange juices and, and so on. and uh, we'd already in advance worked out that time 365 days and we just got buckets and buckets of cubes of sugar and we filled his coughing up bit by bit based on his food choices just to try and demonstrate that people Unaware of how much sugar they're consuming, because a lot of people don't agree with this. But the reality is, bread is sugar. You know, the reality is, cereals are sugar, baked potatoes are sugar, and nothing but sugar. And 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 it's hard to get that across because obviously, people have grown up thinking you know the baked potato is healthy. And for me, that (laughs) I remember when I was super fat, uh, I, I remember that. I'd have a baked potato like once or twice a week thinking this is the one that's really doing me good. You know, I'm not having the Chinese tonight or the Indian takeaway. I'm having a baked potato with beans on it, beans are vegetable. This must all be so, so healthy. And, of course, the only bit that was healthy on it was the butter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah you know, that he's, really- he's a
2: shocking one for you I was speaking to James Gornick who's he, I think he was voted the best dentist in the UK uh, by the his association and he said Steve what's the number one cause for five-year-olds six-year-olds seven eight and nine-year-olds in the UK to spend the night in hospital I went I have no idea I should have known because he's a dentist <laughs> and he went uh, uh tooth decay and having teeth uh, taken out and I went Oh, it's terrible. I said, I thought most parents now know not to give their kids coke. He went, no, no, we now think the number one cause of tooth decay in children is bread. I went, come on. it can't be bread. You know, and I know bread's sugar, but it's not sugar till it it's a stomach. He went, No, the enzymes in the mouth break down the bread into sugar before it even leaves the mouth. And that's possibly now the number one cause of tooth decay in the UK. Have run, is that? Yeah. That's- it's like what? Wow. <laughs> And anybody listening doubts it, go, go and get a bit of bread and chew it and chew it. Don't swallow it. Keep it in the mouth for about a minute and it'll get so sweet. It will turn to sugar and you go, yeah, I get it now. I get it. And like, you know, and look how obsessed we are with bread. You know, in the UK, we've got Greggs. We've got... Subway from America, you know, that Subway bread, 15 inch uh, sorry, 12 inches, 150 grams that turns into 15 teaspoons of sugar. And my dad, bless him, before he knew all this, would be going, Oh, but I've got the healthy salad in the middle. I'm going, Dad, look <laughs> the salad being healthy. You've just had 15 teaspoons of sugar and you're diabetic. Oh, yeah, frustrated. My book was called Fat and Frustrated because I was fat for so many years and frustrated that the truth actually is so simple. It's so simple but complicated in the sense that we've been brainwashed for so long and then we've had our taste buds sort of hacked that we're all addicted to stuff that's carb-loaded and sugar-loaded. So the message is simple, but the actual doing something about it is much harder, of course.
1: Yeah. What two, two questions? <clears throat> why do you think the message has been obviously the marketing has been the way it has? And the mm-hmm. second, the second, uh, I mean, we were talking off air. The the implications or the impact, you know, to particularly to the UK to the NHS. Yeah. What maybe three questions? So, why has it been that way? Mm-hmm. The impact and yeah. what can we do about it?
2: Okay, just remind me if I don't get these in the right order. Okay, um, so, so why is why? It, uh, well, why start with we'll
1: start with the why? Why has uh, it been that way?
2: Sadly, for a hundred plus years, the world functions on quarterly earnings of corporates, and the two corporates that are implicit into this, of course, are the big food corporations and the pharmaceutical in- industry, and they're all chasing quarterly earnings and quarterly earnings only. It's a it's the duty of a a director in a company to maximize shareholder return on investment. And that's it. I mean, it, it's illegal not to, I get so frustrated with so many companies when I say, well, why don't you doing more for charity? Well, that's not our role. Our role is to maximize shareholder return on investments, and we measure that quarterly. Uh, and the whole world for a couple hundred years has been driven that way. Um, uh, and when it comes to food, there is very, you know, I'm a businessman. That's what I've always done. Um, you know, you always looked to maximize your shareholder return on investment. Hard to do that in a big organization with real food because real food, the margins just aren't there. Um, much easier to do something that you can make for next to nothing. Get somebody addicted to, which sadly is sugar, uh, and then have so much profit that you can market the hell out of it. And it's this vicious circle then on on that side that goes: the more money I make, the more I can advertise it, the more I can brainwash people. Immorally, in my in my view, in many ways, you know, seeing Gary Lineker, ex football player, eating Walkers crisps drives me mad because you don't look that way eating Walkers crisps. I can tell anybody that. Um, so so quarterly earnings, and then of course the pharmaceutical industry don't make money for making people well, really. You know, they they make most of their money from masking symptoms. Um, and so on. So we we are two of the biggest market sectors are still structured in a way that only cares about shareholder return on investment and not health. And therefore that's why we are where we are.
1: Mm. I can understand with agriculture. And then
2: then governments have got to start stepping up because they're subsidizing all the wrong things. You know, why are we not properly subsidizing Good farmers that aren 't using fertilizers that are you know rotating their crops properly, meaning that you know uh, that the, the food's healthier there's a, there's a statistic I was told by a very smart gentleman who ran the soil association for twenty years, Patrick Holden he said if you buy vegetables in the uk for a salad it doesn't matter whether the tomatoes lettuce cucumber unless it says organic organic they never grew in the ground they grew hydroponically and of course if they grow hydroponically as opposed to in soil where are we going to get our magnesium and zinc from we just can't so so we, it, it, the structure's wrong both corporate wise and government-wise subsidizing the wrong things and not coming down heavy enough on corporates that are still advertising crap food to our kids, basically.
1: But with the, I mean, I can understand agriculture because obviously when we look at the, that particular model, as you said, you know, it was really, say, the UK and the Industrial Revolution, you know, where we sort of had people moving from from the farms into the city and that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. when we're sort of thinking about big food, yeah, I, I, I can understand the, that sort of, you know, the mass production. Yeah. and um, and certainly being you know living in Australia, you know we've ridden on the sheep's back, you know mm-hmm. which is obviously we have a have a vast you know country yeah. of golden plains of sheep and wheat mm-hmm. and canola, um, <laughs> you know that that was quite quite revolutionary to sort of see the expanse of the yeah. the wheat and the canola and the sheep. So that's that's fun thing. Big pharma has only really perhaps been I mean, you said a hundred years, you know, well, it could be, you know, in the 1920s, yeah, you could be. Have a Bex and a lie down. Um, you know, that that's about the sick care. So yeah. we have engineered our food supply and our healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that the role of government, but don't they don't aren't they in our best interest, or we're talking about political cycles as yeah. well as you know, quarterly cycles for the return on investment for the, for the shareholder, but we need to be a politician and think about elections every four years. Exactly. So they don't have our best interests. Is Would you
0: yeah. agree with that?
2: I totally agree. Um, and, of course, think you know, most people are good people, yeah, and most people are good people, but when your income relies on it, then you're going to do things that, that may be not consistent with who and what you believe in, but yeah, politicians are saying the same. The cycles are all way too short, and they do things that get them hopefully re-elected. And I'm talking to you at a time when it's very messed up here in the UK. Um, so uh, yeah, so so governments and so the whole structure is wrong. And if you know, go back to the Maasai. Are they influenced by pharma? No. Are they influ- influenced by food? and no. You know, by food manufacturers? No living off the land looking after themselves uh, they're so remote remote are they really influenced by governments and they still pretty much you know autonomous in that sense so um yeah the, the, that, and that's why it's so hard you know if we can get to people and say eat these sorts of foods and not these and try and sleep well and do the appropriate exercise then you can probably dodge most chronic illnesses and 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 live healthily into your 90s um and if if people get the message then then that's great and it works but we're up against like i say we're up against the big food and the big pharma um and and then the reality really uh, we did a survey of those that lost weight on our um weight loss program and it's predominantly keto and uh, the way they all did it. And most people on the, on the exit survey said they now prefer the taste of the food on the keto diet than than the food before. Now, of course, that takes a, quite a time to transist because you, you know, you're addicted to many of the foods that that you're eating when you're overweight. Um, but they preferred it in the long run. And then I've just finished a, a cooking video program with a wonderful chef called uh, Emma Porter. Uh, because then people are saying, "Well, it's too expensive." So we went, "Okay, well, what what do we do then?" So uh, Emma Porter is a brilliant chef. Uh, she's won loads of awards. She's written a few books, and uh, and she's type one diabetic, so she has to be very strict on what she eats. And uh, and we spent a couple of months working on it. Uh, we filmed it also there's videos for for each one of the recipes. But the average cost, we by being a bit clever in how we shopped and so on, was sub two pounds. So you know.
1: That's a amazing. Whole
2: good quality meal that's good for you, mm-hmm. but then one of those crappy Phil McDonald's. You know what I mean? So it doesn't have to be expensive.
1: To be expensive, and it, and this is this is really about, as you said, let's pair it right back to to real food. You know, let's mm-hmm. get back to first principles, and I think that also gets back to. Those life skills of being able to to plan, to budget, to actually cook, and knowing yeah. how to cook—you know—all yeah. of that life literacies. Mm-hmm. And when and when you were just sort of speaking um, just before about um, about government systems, I was just thinking I, I had had flashbacks to the Sex Pistols and Johnny Rotten going about you know anarchy in the UK. So it, you know maybe this sort of revolution yeah. that we're you know, ground roots ground you know this movement this real sort of citizens movement to to really upending as you said about the food supply the food systems getting back to 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 first principles and taking back and reclaiming um you know a real food movement as you know revolution because the impact so we'll get to the third part you know this impact what do you see as the you know this tsunami of, as you said, this metabolic syndrome.
2: So the the, the net result, and it's not all diet. So uh, I I do believe it's 80% diet, and I know it's always dangerous to put a number on something, but let's say poor health is 80, metabolic health is predominantly diet. There are other factors like not sleeping properly and, and stress and so on. And we can talk about those metabolic pathways if you like and how that can affect insulin resistance. But, but if insulin resistance is the root cause or is a driver to all the chronic illnesses that we, we worry about and those chronic illnesses that take up four out of five hospital beds, if it is predominantly that simple, then we have to change the diet. Uh, so, But then you said, what's, what's the outcome? So the outcome of eating wrong food, eating too much sugar. So, and very few people realize this, uh, very, very few people. That the amount of sugar we're talking about in the bloodstream at any one time so the average adult around the world has got about eight pints of blood what's that about five liters is it four or five liters Um, but the the blood can only suspend one teaspoon of sugar at any one time one teaspoon two teaspoons and you're diabetic three teaspoons and you die instantly so this is not like hairy fairy stuff and your body can only suspend one teaspoon of sugar in your entire bloodstream now throughout history you know up till four or five hundred years ago um the only time you'd consume more than a couple of teaspoons of sugar would have been in the autumn with the berries and the fruit and so on because the rest of time you just wouldn't you just you just you just wouldn't and even when you get some of the more carby vegetables because they come with the fiber And and the way we digest it, that that sugar just doesn't release so quickly. But eat that Subway. No bones are bad. It turns into 15 teaspoons of sugar. So the body has to get rid of 14 of them super, super quick. To do that, the pancreas releases insulin. Insulin grabs the excess sugar uh, and and, and stores it as body fat, whether in the liver or the fat stores it, it, it different routes. um, So now we've got lots of insulin floating around the body, which is a hormone. And any hormone, when you get too much of it, the reciprocant becomes resistant. In other words, it says, for example, stop sending me all this sugar. So as we become insulin resistant, the pancreas then has to put out more insulin. So now we've got two things going on. We've got insulin resistant cells and more insulin. So we've got hyperinsulinemia. And to a certain extent, it's the hyperinsulinemia that's driving most of the chronic illnesses. Um, and again, we can talk about the pathways if you if you, if you like to. Um, so I, I propose that most chronic illness, four out of five beds in hospital, most cause of early death is down to one thing or one thing only, which is insulin resistance, which is caused by overconsumption of processed foods and sugars. Yeah. Simple.
0: I totally agree. And I think if we dealt with that root cause we would not see such a huge impact that we're seeing in the nhs here in the uk wherever you go you know the the health implications would be totally different
2: yeah why why do we as a race as a species or certainly in the modern world what you know that phrase don't you you know it's no point shutting the stable door when the horse has bolted Why, why are we constantly looking? going oh the nhs is ruined it's it's broken which is completely broken um but why are we not looking at rather than going well how do we recruit another hundred thousand doctors how do we put in another 10 billion each rather than looking at that why don't we look at why people are sick in the first place (laughs) why don't we just try and prevent people from becoming sick and they get people becoming sick younger and younger and younger simply because predominantly because we're eating the wrong food we're and it's not what we it's two things we're eating things we should that aren't fit for human consumption and we're missing things that we need to have a healthy body you know know, they they call them vitamins 13 of them vitamins from vital because they're vital well the thing is vitamins aren't don't come with your carbs (laughs) they come with your, your eggs and your meat and your healthy stuff
0: yeah it's all it's all backwards and and i find it very frustrating that no not nobody because that's not true but the majority in power and in the higher places that could have an influence just don't want to look at it because we yeah. could have such an impact. We could, we could turn this around in less than a decade, and Agreed. the impact on the NHS would be almost immediate.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, okay, so we shut down. We shut down Greg's. Okay, so number one on our hit list is we're going to shut down those those sausage rolls from Greg's. We Everyone's clear out the, the,
2: uh, this thing called <laughs> COVID, and we managed to shut down <laughs> Greg's and McDonald's for quite a few months, which was really successful. Um, uh, by manufacturing well, well, by 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 overstating COVID, and of but, course, but COVID- then but
0: yeah. then if but, to, I don't really want to, this is really controversial, but. The those big companies stayed open when all the little, small companies, the independent, the bakeries, the health food, the health food stayed open, but some of the smaller shops had to close. And I just, you know, for me, it, they said, "Oh, um, in what was it? What was the phrase?" The
2: they they, they there was a, there was a, I can't even remember what the phrase was now, it, but it was they were essential, essential weren't they, they?
0: Essential essential jobs. So, yeah. can you tell me why? W. Yep. H. Smith's is an essential shop. Oh, that's sh- all right. That, so, that, so anyway, we probably so hypothet- hypothet- hypothetically. So hypothetically,
1: Greg Greg's is shut. W. H. Smith yep. is shut. Yep. Orbiton's is wiped off of the, um, you know, the, the supermarket shelf. So we yep. get rid of all of that white bread. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we do? So we just sort of clear out the ultra processed foods.
2: Well, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. But actually, yeah.
0: Luigi, you don't you can't you can't do it like that because then there's so many people would lose their jobs. But what you can do is you can say to people, "Here's an option for you. Why don't you try it?" And as but, people start changing, the food companies could start changing, yes, and it so and it so but, but fits I, I, in.
2: I think Jackie's. Jack is 100 right. But the only way to do it's from hut. the ground up, it's the
1: only one. But <laughs> the thing that we know after speaking to Dr. Jen is that there's still going to be that sort of issue of the food addictions because, as Steve has said, you know, there's things in the food supply and the food supply systems that have made us addictive. So, you know, I being number one abstainer lady. We just need to wipe it out. We cannot have it in our food system, you know, because Jackie being the moderator, you know, leaving it there means that we still have this particular drug in this in the supply system. So we need to all go cold turkey. We just need to cut it off, cut that cut that head off the, the you know, and cut off the supply, and everybody just needs to um, go through cold turkey, go through the keto shakes carefully amen, flu. amen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, is, it is massive and and the the economic implications are massive yes. um but but the the thing is the economic
1: implications as steve was telling us is four out of five beds are in the nhs are related to the mm-hmm. fact that we have a very sick society or a sick food chain systems yes. that's the sort of stuff so if you know, we on the one hand, so this is an upstream and downstream, as you know, it's upstream, is a, is obviously we have downstream, we have all of these four out of five beds, but up's you know, the upstream effects of what's with the food supply and you know the way that we've structured our societies, the postcode lotteries, the food health literacy issues, yeah. you know, that's the things that we need to systemize. We're not going to get to the The diabetics and the people that are hypertensive, and um, you know the insulin resistance. If we don't start with that system stuff, so I go back to um, Sex Pistols. Johnny Rotten had it right: anarchy in the UK, number one.
2: Anarchy in the UK. I mean, there's one thing the government must do, and we've been lobbying them for a long time with the PHC, is they have to get rid of their stupid Eat Well guidelines, right? Because they are just so wrong. They are causing death, not helping people live healthily, the, the, the eat well guidelines that, that they are so out of day, they are based on American system that also doesn't work. So, and you can look at, doesn't matter which, whose graph you look at, which doctor, which scientist, which magazine newspaper you read, no doubt about it. When those guidelines came into place where they start to tell us what we should eat, obesity skyrocketed and, and a, it's, it's, it's been there ever since. So we have to get rid of food guidelines so then we can have an open playing field. And then once we've got an open playing field, because at the moment, big corporate keep going back to, well, we're only manufacturing in line with,
0: you know. Supply the and demand, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so to in line with the guidelines that we put people in to decide on. Yeah,
2: exactly. So let's get rid of food guidelines, start off with, and then let's educate from the ground up because a good friend of mine was talking a few years back to Terry Levy, who was the head of Tesco's and, and he gets it, you know, Terry, he's not there anymore sadly, but Tesco's heyday. He was the CEO I get it. I, I, I get the whole thing, but you know, I can't sell stuff that nobody will buy. So I can only sell what people will buy. And I'd love to be selling organic food. My, my salad's not bagged. I'd love to be doing all that. And uh, he said, I can't wait for, the day to, to, you know, for it to happen. But you you won't drive the change through the corporate. You will only drive the change through the consumer, understanding it. And, and almost like they've done with the cigarette companies, you know, so a lot of people in the end quit smoking because they realised that, the, the you know, the cigarette companies were, were putting all these chemicals in. And they so they started to hate the companies. We've got to get people to start hating the fact that McDonald's put chemicals just into the bread, e-numbers into the bread. You go, well, you know, why do you need to even do that? <laughs> Why put enums numbers into bread? Um, so we've got to get people disliking the fact that there are so many chemicals in our foods that that don't need to be there. You know, other than there to be make it addictive, make it cheap, make the shelf life ridiculously long, and so on. So we've got to get people kicking back, going, "No, you know, I want to support the farmer. And, you know, no, I want to have a chicken in my garden, have my own eggs. Um, you know, sticking the two fingers up to the corporations.
0: Yeah." Mm what ingredients are there in chips
2: well crisps
0: or homemade no um potato chip um crisps chips english chips (laughs) french French fries french fries french fries french fries fries. Mm. okay so if you're making them at home what ingredients have they got well you would if you make them at
2: home you would you would chop them all up and you would maybe put a bit of salt on and olive oil and you'd put them in the oven, maybe or the air fryer now just as they are with nothing um and nothing else or and fry them all.
0: so mcdonald's yeah. chips have well, 17 different ingredients and sugar and it's just like it's no way sugar. yes yes yeah 17 oh, yeah. ingredients for some french fries chips
2: I, I picked my daughter up the other week and uh from her, her theater class she does musical theater that's she wants, wants to be on the stage in the west end and i picked her up it's quite late at night she, she came out and uh and she said, "I've not eaten all day, Dad. I'm hungry." I went, "Okay, we'll go and find something." Uh, and uh, and the only thing that was open was McDonald's. And I, I'll cook. I'll cook when we get home. She said, "No, I want." I and if you force your opinion on your kids, eventually i will backlash. So occasionally, go on, then have one. And then she was she was eating these chips, and I thought, I want to see why she's so excited about it. So I had one, and I tell you what, it was the sweetest thing I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> it's just sugar.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, ridiculous. But why didn't you say to her? you know, you're hungry, you haven't eaten all day, well, try not eating five days. See how you feel then. Yeah, I
2: know where you're going with this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. a great segue.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Come back to me when you haven't eaten for five days and, yeah, and um,
0: you know. Cycled 500 miles. 100 miles, yeah.
2: I see what that's nice. That's nicely segued in there. Well done.
0: <laughs> you, you're, you've got to take the lead now. So, yeah, okay. so you did this zero... Um, yeah, zero, zero calories, right. five, days. five days. Some did yeah. five hundred kilometers. You did five hundred miles.
2: Yeah,
0: tell us about. So it. Uh, what we did one a
2: couple of years ago it was zero five one hundred. So we did zero calories, five days, one hundred miles uh, running so four marathons. We did it with a bunch of doctors, uh two people that were diabetic type one, uh, who obviously have to be very careful when they're fasting. So uh, that was with
0: man- Dr. Ian Lake. That's it, yeah. and um, uh,
2: John Furness, both tight ones, um, and then we had another bunch of doctors, um, and uh, and we did that experiment. We and we did low every day. We'd, we'd wake up and do full metabolical markers in the morning, and and the same in the evening, and uh, and that went really really well. And then this year we repeated the experiment, but this time we did zero calories five days, uh, and originally it was going to be five hundred kilometers, uh, but I talk through in a bit why i then changed it to 500 miles but but the whole idea again was we would uh so we cycled from glasgow uh, to bristol for the phc conference uh, and this time i did it with uh, a doctor uh, eating disorder doctor called uh, ali Ibrahim, a brilliant doctor uh and then my son-in-law uh, uh john furnace type 1 diabetic and uh, james cracknell who twice won gold at the olympics so i'd I'd got everything from, overweight as in my son-in-law uh he doesn't mind me saying overweight. he's overweight he's he's reversed he's a beast now, but he's still got a way to go uh to a professional sports person to a an eating disorder doctor so we, we covered all bases basically and we did all the metabolic markers every morning every evening and uh and the weirdest thing of all was that we all just felt healthier and healthier as the week went on to the point that in the end, the last two days I added more miles and stretched it to 500 miles. Um, And just as an aside, anybody that does a lot of bike riding or a lot of sport, lactic acid buildup, you know, you wake up the next morning after doing an adventure and your legs ache and your arms ache and you can't get out of bed, but you've got to go and push yourself, you know, again, if you're doing a big adventure and that was always me in the past. And, uh, and yet on this one, nothing ate, like zero eight nothing ate. what about your butt oh come on yeah the butt's a bit different that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's not an egg that's that's something else <laughs> that's poorly designed seats and pants um but but here's the interesting thing because we were going slightly slower than normal uh and we were burning 100 body fat as opposed to uh sugar because of course we weren't eating anything drinking water, drinking coffee, drinking electrolytes, but, um, but no food coming in. So after the first day when you've run down your glycogen stores, you're now burning 100% body fat. But to burn body fat, you have to do it with oxygen because you can't do it uh, anaerobically. Uh, and then because you're doing it with oxygen, you cannot build up lactic acid. So you know, in the past, I've done big bike rides with some friends for charity, and you, you know, you'd literally wake up the next morning and think, I can't get out of bed. And yet here i was not eating anything cycling 500 miles feeling absolutely fantastic with no sores so the benefits were incredible but the, the main thing was, of course we we're talking about metabolic markers uh, they improve for everybody over that five day fast um, not completely linear uh, there's a few days Certainly, my triglycerides did a few funny things in the middle but if you took the beginning and the end, for every single rider, uh, except from James Cracknell, who's the Olympian, uh, his blood pressure was already amazing and just it just stayed the same. Uh, but every other marker, and for every rider, blood pressure came down, triglycerides came down, uh, obviously blood glucose came down quite a lot because we weren't eating anything. Um, and uh, uh, and of course, we lost a bit of weight. So it just shows that that fasting uh, and it's not right for everybody, but but certainly as an adult, if you start to fast, and I find it, I always say to people, you can't really learn to fast till you've got keto anyway, because you know you, but your body has to know how to burn body fat. And in the modern world, where people are eating a high carb diet, they are a hundred percent stuck stuck in sort of a sugar burning mode, uh, and, and the body won't flick that switch for for, for a couple of weeks normally. Uh, but once you flick that switch, fasting becomes enjoyable. And And if you look at some great research from the likes of professor david sinclair and and, and and others, possibly the number one thing for longevity is eating less and eating less often, as long as you're getting your nutrients, eating less and less often, so adding fasting somehow to your weekly routine just improves all your metabolic markers
0: mm.
1: I was just going to say. Um, th- for the metric people, um, five hundred miles. I mean, that's a, a great. We're talking music proclaimer song. Um, so five hundred miles is eight hundred and four kilometers for yeah. the metric. The metric people. Mm. So, but that that really speaks to what a crazy idea. Who would have came? Who came up with this sort of stuff? You know, just sort of think that by fasting for. Five days, so going without food and putting your body on the line, you know, but admittedly for, for science, um, you know, oh. you, you made it to Bristol and yeah. what was the first thing you ate?
2: Oh, this is so funny. Um, it won't mean anything to anybody listening abroad uh, probably, but uh, those in the UK will understand this. There's a, there's a, a gentleman called James, uh, uh, Jamie Clarkson, Jeremy Clarkson, sorry, uh famous for a, a top gear car program but he's got a farm uh, and i said to one of my cameramen that was was filming it he said the same question what do you want when you finish i went i want a scotch egg uh, but not any scotch egg you know you got to go and get me a really good one with no chemicals in it and uh, anyway they they as i was riding uh, down towards bristol i didn't realize but i'd gone past jeremy clarkson's farm so the camera crew went in and uh, got me a jeremy clarkson scotch egg so I admit there were some breadcrumbs on it, but uh, but other than that, it was really gorgeous. <laughs> really well, good.
1: Must be yeah, well deserved after 500 <laughs> miles and you know five days, and so. Um, but,
2: but interestingly, yeah. you said why did we do it? So the first one we did was because a, a, a doctor, a doctor in late type one diabetic, yeah, now, uh, lots of misinformation about how dangerous fasting is uh, if you're type one, and he wanted to bust the myth that that yes. If you're type one, you have to very be, you know, religious about measuring your insulin if you're going to do fasting. But it is still possible, uh, and he did it, uh, and uh, and so did John Furness uh, do the first one, uh, and that's why we took a type one diabetic on the bike ride as well to, to prove that as long as you're careful, even type one diabetics where you can't obviously. um you know, you can't put type one in remission or reverse it uh, as you can type two, but, but you can certainly live a, a better life than many do with type one by, you know, by, by stabilizing the food that you eat. Mm, yeah,
0: definitely.
2: So, so that's why we did it. Yeah.
0: And I, and I noticed, noticed um, John's HRM score was really high. Good. He had a 90. You only had eight.
2: Yeah, he did at the end. Yeah. How good's that? So, He's a type 1 diabetic, just ridden 500 kilometres, John did, and over five days. And all his metabolic markers were really good, scoring him, I think it was 90 or 95 out of 100, which is really good. Yeah.
1: Because I think on social media, I was following you on social media that you were posting, you know, obviously the, the daily updates and that you were certainly very transparent in obviously the data being collected, and mm-hmm. um, you know the improvements that that were that were really along the way. So that's now you said being has been filmed has been yeah, released.
2: YouTube, actually, it's on YouTube. Uh, if you type in the word zero, um, I think then the number five, and then five hundred as a number, uh, zero five five hundred, or that plus half results. You'll you'll find it. It's up there. Sure. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's about an hour long, and we we'll try to keep it light hearted. We we even showed the bits where James Crapnell ended up going down a motorway by accident which of course I pushed my oh did. no uh, and then a couple of doctors fell off their bike a couple of times uh, on so we kept it light-hearted but all the data's there as well yeah
1: yeah and and that's really obviously very very transparent um so at is there anything else that um we haven't spoken about that you wish to wish to share with listeners
2: no, I, I I think. I speak of the UK, but it must be the same around the world, you know, the only way to save our NHS. We've got a problem at the moment that we've got six million people waiting for an operation. It's the highest waiting list we've ever had. Of course, COVID's had an impact on that. Uh, But we've got a staff shortage of over 120,000. We've got 40,000 doctors light of where we need to be. And yet uh, there are only seven and a half thousand people going through med school at the moment or going into med school each year. So we've got a fundamental problem. And for me, the only way to fix this problem that we've got is to help people become unsick or stop people getting sick. Mm. And and the way we can prevent many of the cancers, uh, much of the heart disease, the way we can prevent a lot of Alzheimer's and dementia, the way we can prevent a lot of strokes, getting this message across that you guys are doing so fabulously that 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 the diet plays you know a lot of people put it down to genetics and bad luck and just old age but it's just not true you know a a lot of these diseases yes there's a tiny element of uh, of genetics yes there's a tiny element that, that that um that it, that, that it just can't do anything about it. But the reality is, these diseases, you know, if you, if, if you spoke to a thousand people in the late 1800s, early 1900s, none of the things we worry about today would even be on their radar. None of them. No. There was the odd case of cancer, there was the odd case of diabetes, but, but they were just so rare and far between. And we've, re, you know, we've eradicated virtually all the things people died of 100 years ago. And so we've got all these new diseases. And I would just want people to realize that. That, that if you 've had those diseases in your family and you worry about it and you think with genetics honestly that that is not the biggest contributor. The biggest contributor is the food that we 're eating the lifestyles we 're living and 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 basically you've got to go keto you you well every the word keto primal uh, low carb the human diet doesn 't matter what you want to call it eat real food, avoid chemically infused food, eat real food, and cut down if you 're overweight on anything that turns into sugar in the body. Simple, hard to do, but simple message.
0: Yeah. So how can people get in contact with you?
2: Um, so uh, health results are on YouTube, the, the website. Uh, <laughs> I have to say it again one more time, health results, because most time I say it, especially in Australia, they think I say health resorts and have people come back. Resorts, down. that's what I thought. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no. Health, health resorts. Health results. <laughs> com. And, uh, yeah, come and check
0: us out. Excellent. So go on, Louise. We'd like to
1: sort of finish off with, I mean, you've just given us some, some really good, obviously, good focus for the future. But if we can distill that down into three top tips, please.
2: Eat real food, prioritise sleep, and exercise appropriately and we haven't touched exercise but a a lot of people try and run before they can walk um and doing too much aerobic certainly if your waist to height ratios out in other words you're carrying too much visceral fat can do more harm than good sometimes so uh you know get out walk more exercise appropriately eat real food and get a good night's sleep
0: yeah in in the film um you were constantly saying to your son-in-law to slow <laughs> down slow down it's yeah. about that mafetone heart rate isn't it that you need to keep it in the aerobic zone so yes. that you your body works its endurance you can keep going you keep going so um yeah he wouldn't listen up- though would he <laughs> no he wouldn't and, and
2: nothing upsets me more you know, seeing people out running on the streets thinking they're doing the right thing that are hugely overweight and they're jogging, it's like you will be way past uh working in an aerobic zone uh because the weight you can you'll be anaerobic. And well, now when you're anaerobic, you're burning sugar because you need it. That's what you have to do when you're past sort of 70 to 75 percent of your max heart rate. Well no, probably 80 percent uh for, for people, many people. Um, but but then you're anaerobic, so now you're burning sugar, which you wake up the next morning and the body, because your glycogen stores are depleted, just fills them back up again. So the net gain is zero. Whereas doing exercise slower, still, quite, you know, as long as your you, you waist to height ratio is okay, yeah, but I'm not, still go out and have a jog, but do it slower because that's when you burn body fat. You know, and, uh, and that's when you don't hurt the joints. And I'm not saying you should never sprint because that's a whole different thing altogether. But the, the main one is for most people, certainly as we age, we need to do more resistance training, lift some weights, whether that be. Which,
1: that's me. I love, I think for me, lifting the heavy, heavy things repeatedly. Yep. And, you know, that's in, and this is where the nuanced stuff happens with the stage of life that I'm in, that I need mm-hmm. to maintain my lean body mass in yep. order to maintain my bone density to, yep. you know, to prevent me from from getting osteoporosis. So, yep. um, yeah, I think the sort of the nuance, as you said,
2: yeah, your, your, your chances of sort of thinning bones and osteoporosis really diminish If you're doing weight training, lifting heavy things and doing what you're doing already, which is eating real food. Um, you'll, you'll see in the documentary, uh, documentary on the zero five five hundred. Uh, Dr. Ali Ibram falls off his bike twice and, uh, and he's a, his a carnivore uh he's an eating order specialist mainly with children uh, eating disorder specialist and some people say well then why on earth are you a carnivore if that's what you do for a living he said because it's you know, it's only a disorder if it's unhealthy and i can prove to you it's not unhealthy what i'm doing and he, he he's the he, oh, i've never he's so ripped it's unbelievable um but anyway he fell off his bike twice and uh and put it on the same side, same hip, put the hand down twice. And he just said, you know, thank goodness I'm having the right diet because I would have done some serious damage without the right diet. So, you know, even looking after your bones, the food that you eat is, is critical.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for being with us today.
2: Loved it, ladies. Thank you very Thanks, much for having me on. Steve. Great.
1: Fabulous. Great to have you on. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Thanks. Is this where I have this awkward silence about? So, Jackie, <laughs> well, Jackie, <laughs> well, Jackie, um, I really was thinking how Steve is one of these innovative disruptors, you know, in business. But he's done that not only on on different levels. So he's done that for himself by pushing the physical boundaries through his various physical challenges. He's doing that with health education and health promotion, you know, and he's really doing that obviously through his work, you know, his commitment to the the charities um, like the PHC. So there's a health system, health policy, health education, as well as his own. You um, he's made a personal commitment to to health, and he's really, you know, he's taking this commitment you know, in those ways. And I think that's a real credit to Steve and what he's what his commitment is doing. And I really um look forward to, you know,
0: to hearing more from Steve about the impact that he's making of his vision. And I think Steve's gonna be quite influential in taking things forward and it would be good to see him team up with maybe a Holtra and and see them I mean, I know Sam Felton has been to the MPs in Westminster as as a scene, but it would be good to see him joining them on that bandwagon and pushing forward for public health because you know he was saying four out of five beds are taken up by chronic illness, and these are things that we can do something about each person individually and collectively and as we said in the podcast it's it's going to take time. You can't do you you were suggesting we should just cut everything else immediately, which I don't think is reasonable, but it is a workable plan, but we also know that the powers that be want us sick and stupid, as I say, um so I, I don't see that happening anytime soon that they're going to change public policy and change those eat well guidelines, but hopefully he can start influencing on a higher level he should have the connections to do that.
1: But I I like what Steve, you know, he has the capacity because obviously being an entrepreneur, you know, he's, he's run businesses, you know, he's run big, big entrepreneurial businesses. So he knows how to have a vision. He knows how to get the results. He knows how to, you know, to, to really measure the impact of that vision you know in terms of you know the return on investment for his shareholders so he knows how to get get the outcome that he wants so but i think it's about this is different you know health is different in a way because we're dealing with policy it's not like just make it happen number 1 it's you know he has to get the as you said the powers to be to to be able to get on board to be in alignment to affect the change, but because it's a political cycle, it's completely different to to running a you know a business. So mm. that's that's the difference. It's the policy.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can't see it changing anytime soon. I don't think. But I think you know, our government. I, I don't think our governments, yours included, have our mm-hmm. best interests at heart. So. Yeah, I think we've
1: just recently had a government change, so we've gone from obviously the Conservatives back to um, back to a Labor government. So there are some some changes, obviously afoot there with a with a platform change. So there may or may not be obviously you know the the impact there, but it like you said, it, it really is about getting the alignment of the stakeholders involved.
0: Mm. Yeah you have but to wait
1: people, till- yeah but with people like steve you know being the disruptive you know the disruptor and the innovator he you know can at least you know be pulling the chain so i think you know that's that to his credit you know to his credit he, he's 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 got a few chains that he can pull and yeah. disrupt mm.
0: yeah so jackie where can we get the show notes for this episode so the show notes will be at fabulouslyketo.com Forward slash podcast, forward slash 121. One. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish.
1: Can you recommend a guest we can in interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation.
0: Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast,
1: click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners.